And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. We've been in a series called This Is Us, where we've been taking a little look at our new vision and values as a church. And I'm going to go into uh, today's value here in just a few moments. But I want to keep you guys in the loop with some stuff that's coming up that you guys can be prepared for. Um, here in a, a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to try our best to start kicking back into uh, some Wednesday night um, opportunities for you. Um, the, uh, the youth are ready to get back. They've had a couple parties and they've had great uh, turnouts at those. And so this week, as we step into spring break week, uh, they're going to be live streaming this Wednesday on Instagram. But then starting the 24th, of March, so that's uh, I guess a week and a half away. They're going to start back in in-person uh, youth gatherings at six thirty, and so if you got some teenagers, make sure they come and they be a part of that. Uh, and then after Easter, beginning April the seventh, um, I'm going to lead a small group on Wednesday nights at six thirty. So this is a time change for us, not seven, but six thirty, um, and we're going to go through the Book of Mark. And uh, it's going to be a great time as we just kind of dig into God's Word and uh, have fellowship together. And so that will start Wednesday, April the 7th. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Uh, And then we're also going to um, do our best to kick back into uh, Wednesday night programming for kids. Um, You do need to be give us a little bit of grace because... um, you know, with the whole COVID thing and, and volunteers, we're kind of low on volunteers, and so we're doing the best uh, that we can. Um, what we are going to do with Wednesday nights for kids is that's going to be by RSVP only. Again, we'll talk more about that. But if you would like to be a part of the Bible study that's happening on Wednesday night, you can RSVP uh, your kids, and they can be a part of uh, Kid Venture on Wednesday nights, and then you can join uh, the group at 6.30. So uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then want to mention Easter weekend is quickly approaching. And this year we're going to have a Good Friday service that's going to start at 6.30. And at that service, it'll be about an hour long, but we're going to have worship, uh, communion. We're going to uh, take some time to reflect on all that Jesus did for us uh, on that Good Friday. It's a Good Friday for us, but how many know it wasn't a Good Friday for him? And uh, so we're going to take some time and uh, just spend uh, in reflection that evening. And then on Easter Sunday, that's the 4th, uh, we'll have a 10.30 a.m. service. Uh, we'll have um, uh, promotionals going out, uh, especially on social media. So do us a huge favor. And when you see those, make sure you share those out. Um, on your social media to invite some other people. And then we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. This is kind of the scaled down version of what we've done in the past. I think everything uh, this last 12 to 18 months has been scaled down. Um, But uh, we're going to have a kind of a scaled down Easter egg hunt. It's going to be Easter Sunday right after the service. And it'll be in the field back here to my right, uh, to your left. And uh, it'll last about 30 minutes, and we'll have a bunch of eggs for the kids to be able to to go grab. We'll have it sectioned out by uh, age category, so um, so that'll keep me from knocking over all the nursery kids when I go try to get my eggs. Um, 
But uh, that'll be a great time. So make sure you invite uh, some of your friends and family to come be a part of that. And uh, we just know that Easter weekend is going to be just an amazing weekend as we come together and just celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. So keep those in mind. Mark your calendars. Be sure to, to do some shares on social media as you see uh, that information coming out. So like I said, we've been in this series called This Is Us, and we are, we are on the way to landing the plane. After today, we've got two weeks left, and then we're going to kick into a new series after Easter, and I'll talk a little bit about that next week. But today we're going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about a value that um, if you're a guest today, um, I just want to make you just kind of at ease. We're talking about a value as Christ followers in our life and, and a value of our church. Um, but it would go figure that uh, the first Sunday that you show up at Evangel, we're talking about generosity and money. That's just the kind of the way it works, right? Um, but I want to talk a little bit today about generosity. And this is a value. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a value. If I'm going to be uh, use another value of ours as a church, I'm going to be a little bit transparent. This is not a value for me that comes easy or comes natural. That to be generous, to be able to uh, let go of what I would consider mine for somebody else is something that doesn't come very easy for me. And my guess is, is that that there, yes, there are some of you that, that you have a gift of being generous, and that's, that's amazing, and you give. The Bible talks about that being a spiritual gift. But many of us, we struggle with that. But whether we are comfortable with it or uncomfortable with it, we can't deny the fact that being generous is at the very core of who God is. And if it's at the very core of who God is and God has made us in his image, then it goes to say that he would desire for us to live a life that is generous as well. And so today I want to talk to you about this value of generosity. And here's a statement that you're going to hear a lot around here for years to come, that we're going to choose to live life with an open hand rather than a closed fist. That we're going to choose to live our life like this before the Lord, saying, Father, any part of me that you desire, any part of me that you want me to give, whether it's my time, talent, or treasure, that I'm going to live life this way, not this way. And I want to talk a little bit today. I want to help you see that this is not just something that, 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 that pastors um, talk about because they want money. This is something that pastors talk about because it really does get down to the core of how God has wired us. And what amazing impact it can be in our lives when we choose to live life this way instead of this way. This morning, we're going to be digging into quite a bit of scripture, but, but the majority of our reading is going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so you can get your Bibles and our smartphones begin to head that way. But let's pray our prayer uh, this morning as we just invite the Lord to, to, to speak to us today. And so we'll have this up on the screens. Just repeat it with me. Father... As I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in 2013, there was a woman that uh, was from the Wall Street Journal that wrote uh, an interesting 
article, and this article had an interesting title. The title of the article was Hardwired Forgiving. And the premise that, that, that was behind this article was that contrary to Darwinian belief that, that, that humans are essentially selfish, that, that we're out for ourselves, that we're always going to put ourselves above other people, what they discovered, that scientists discovered, is that our brain was actually built for generosity, that there's an actual chemical that is released in our brains when we are generous. It's a chemical that, that emits this sensation of pleasure and happiness whenever we do something for somebody else. And the Apostle Paul, he, he knew this to be true well before the Wall Street Journal ever figured it out. And he repeated these words of Jesus that are in Acts chapter 2, verse 35, he made this statement. He said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. He said that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the reason why Jesus made such a powerful statement about this is because Jesus knew that you and I are hardwired to experience God's best in our lives when we are living a generous life. You know, it's quick for us when we look at a scripture like this in Acts 20, it's quick of us to, to at first glimpse to assume that it's saying that the more that we give, the more money that we give, the more money that we're going to get back, right? It's, a, it's kind of like this idea that we're going to give with this idea that we're going to end up getting more out of it. But when you look at the original meaning of this word blessed, that it doesn't mean anything like that. That this word blessed in the original language, that it actually means happy. That what Jesus is getting at is that it isn't about getting more that we are blessed when we give. It's about experiencing more. That when we truly live a life that's generous and we truly are giving to others, that we as followers of Christ, because we're hardwired this way, that we experience more of God's presence and more of God's joy in our lives. And we see this connection in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that I want us to look at today. And I want us to see what the Bible has to say about this value of generosity. And I want to I prepare you right now that, that what we're going to read, these next 12 verses, is a little challenging. Okay, It's a little challenging, but I want you to open your hearts and I don't want you to, I don't want you to interpret this or hear this from a history of perceptions of what you've seen before, but I want you to truly open your heart and see what it is that the Lord might have us understand about this value of generosity. And so in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing to these churches that he started in Corinth. And in chapter 8, he addresses specifically this value of generosity. And you've got to understand that for the Apostle Paul, that, that he has this, this heart for the church in Jerusalem. Like there's something about that church in Jerusalem that's just near and dear to Paul's heart. And he kind of looks at that church as kind of, kind of the mother church of all these other churches that they've planted. 
And so what Paul is doing is he's having this conversation about this offering that he's wanting to receive because the church in Jerusalem has been going through a difficult time as they've been kind of dealing with famine in the land. And so so he begins to have this conversation about receiving an offering, and he talks about the motivation behind generosity. And that's what I want to look at today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, talking to the Corinthian believers and the Corinthian church, that, that what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So he is setting up a comparison here between the churches in Macedonia and the churches there in Corinth. He says, they, speaking of the churches in Macedonia, are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, but they are also filled with the abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now, what I find interesting here is he's, he's drawing their focus to the idea that this church is struggling. They're going through uh, difficulty. They're experiencing trouble, that they're having a difficulty making uh, ends meet. But he says, despite all of that, that they still have this abundant joy and this generosity that's flowing through them. And I see out of that, I see a couple things. One is that this church in Macedonia, that their circumstances haven't caused them to to lose their joy or to lose their thankfulness for all that God has done in their lives. And secondly, that their joy and their thankfulness that they have, that it's being, it's being demonstrated not through words, but through their generosity. And Paul goes on to say in verse 3, he says, For I can testify that, that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Not only what they could afford, but far more. You know, I think it is, I think it's our natural tendency as humans to be generous with our time, generous with our talent, generous with our treasure when there's extra left over at the end of the month. And Paul is, is having this conversation with this Corinthian church and he's saying that's not the kind of generosity that Jesus is talking about here. And he says, I, I love what Paul says next. He says, and they didn't do it on their own free will, or they did do it. That's a big difference. I better correct that one. They did do it on their own free will. In other words, they weren't generous because they felt guilty. They were generous because they understood that everything that they have is because of Jesus. And so out of their thankfulness and their gratitude of what Jesus has done for them, they are being generous. Now watch this. This blows my mind in verse 4. That they begged, look at this church, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I mean, can you believe the heart of this church, that they're going through difficulty, they're, they're experiencing trouble, they're, they're having difficulty in their own lives, making ends meet, and here they are begging, begging for the privilege to be able to give. I mean, 
If there was any church at this moment that could have gotten a pass, right? They could have gotten a pass from, from this offering because they, of all the things that they had experienced, it would have been this church. But yet, despite all of that, this church was begging and they were looking at this giving, not as something that they had to do, but as a privilege for them to be able to participate in the kingdom work. And, and it goes on to say in verse five that, that they even did more than what we had hoped for their first, and, and I got this highlighted in my own text, for their first action, that their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. And, and, and I see here in this text the idea of generosity, not just being connected to money, that there's an idea of us, if we're going to live our lives with an open hand rather than a closed fist, that, that we are giving of ourselves I think the reality is, is that we can give money, we can, we can give out of the leftovers of what we have at the end of the month, and, and we can do all that and still never give ourselves to the Lord. And so Paul is, is using these churches in Macedonia as an example, and, and he writes to this church in Corinth, and he says in verse 6, so we've, so we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Verse 7, since, and look at this, since you excel in so many ways, you excel in your faith, you excel in your gifted speakers, you excel in your knowledge, you excel in your enthusiasm, in your love for us, Paul says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Now, I want you to notice here that, that Paul is bringing a level of discipline to this Corinthian church. And he's trying to help them to see that there's a lot of good that they're doing. There's a lot of good things that that they're doing as a church for the kingdom, but they weren't being generous with their giving. And watch what he says here. I think, I, personally, I think this is kind of funny. In verse 8, he says, now I'm not commanding you to do this. And, and the reason why I think that's funny is because it, it makes me think of, of, of me as a parent with my kids. Like, when my kids do something that's that... that um, is, is wrong. They make a decision that's not the right decision. And, you know, when they were younger, we kind of told them what to do. But as they began to get older, we try to give them choices and options, right? So we're, we're less because at some point they graduate and leave the home and they're not going to have mom and dad telling them what to do. At that point, they need to, they need to know how to how to make wise and godly choices. And so, so I, I think of as a parent, like I, we're disciplining our kids and, and we give them some choices, but, but there's this unverbalized expectation that we're not going to tell them what to do, but they know what we want them to do. <laughs> Is there any parent who knows what I'm talking about? Like, like I'm not going to tell you 
but you know the choice that you need to make. And that's what I think of in this moment with Paul in this Corinthian church that, that, that he's kind of stepping in and he's helping them to see that, guys, you're missing the mark, you're missing the focus, and, and I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm kind of am telling you what to do. And he, and he goes on, he says, but I'm testing, look at this, I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Now, that's a heavy statement. And the reason why I think it's heavy is because there's an element of testing that's going on with the way that we live our lives and, and whether we're living our lives this way or this way. But there's a level of testing about how genuine our love is. That for me in my own journey, that when I, when I sense, when I feel the Lord laying something on my heart to participate in something, and my natural reaction is to be like, okay, I'll take a couple fingers off of what I got, but I'm going to still kind of keep a little, little bit of a clench on it. That, that, that it is a test. It's a test of where my heart is. It's a test of really how appreciative and grateful I am of all that God has done in my life, and, and, and we see what Paul's doing here, this test. He's, he's testing two things, their heart and their gratefulness. Their gratefulness of what Jesus has saved them from. And he unpacks this a little more here in verse 9. He says, he says you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice Notice here the play on words. Notice here that leading up to this point that Paul is talking about generosity as it relates to money, as it relates to our giving. And now all of a sudden he brings this, this comparison. He brings um, this together. He connects it with the generosity, the grace of God in our lives. He makes a statement. He says, though, though he was rich, yet for our sakes that he became poor. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor. Why? So that by his poverty he could make us rich. Friend, he's not talking about money here. He's talking about the grace of what Jesus has done on the cross. And he's bringing this connection between what we do with our finances and how we live our lives and whether we're, we're holding on tight or whether we're releasing and being fully surrendered to the Lord. And he's connecting that to the grace and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And Paul says in verse 10, here's my advice. <laughs> so Paul's stepping in. He's like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, right? I, and parents, we all know what this is like. I'm not going to tell you guys the choice you need to make, but here's my advice. My, parent, my kids have probably heard that till they're blue in the face. They're going to they're gonna make fun of me to their kids when they get older because of that. Here's my advice. This is what I would do if I was you. He says here in verse 10 that it would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. 
that last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. In other words, in other words, don't let last year's generosity keep you from being generous this year. He's saying, make it a lifestyle. Make it the way that you live your lives. And in verse 11, he says, now you should finish what you started. You should finish what you started. Let the eagerness that you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. The give in proportion to what you have. And I, I want you to notice here that Paul's challenging them to be intentional about their giving. That he's saying here, be um, given proportion. In other words, set a percentage and, and be consistent with it. Don't, don't, don't just kind of give when you feel like it, but be intentional. That because of all that Jesus has done for you, for the grace of the cross and the impact that that has on your life, to be intentional about you giving back to the kingdom. In verse 12, it says, whatever you give is acceptable. And I got this circled in my own text. If you give it eagerly. Now, what that says to me is that there can be a gift that we give that is not acceptable because of the lack of eagerness to give. The disconnect between the heart when we talk about offering time, and I know we typically do that at the end of, of services, and trust me and trust my heart that this is not some way to try, to try to get you to give more in the offering. This is a way for me to help you see that the more that we live life this way, the more that we resist the urge to hold on to the things that we have, to hold on to, to our own time, to hold on to our own talent and helping other people, that the more that we do this, the less of the joy and the passion that we experience in our relationship with God. And he says here that whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And he says, give according what you have, not what you don't have. So this morning, I want to I give you four characteristics that, that I find in generous people. And I think it's, these are four characteristics that we see in Scripture. And I think the easiest way for me to help um, you understand what, how significant these four characteristics are is that these characteristics are the mirror. And so as we stand before the word of God and we look in the mirror and we say, am I a generous person or am I not? I think these four characteristics would be evident in our lives. The first one is this, is that generous people, that they give joyfully. They give joyfully. That when we're a generous people, that we look at, at giving as a privilege. Like it's a privilege, it's an honor to be able to, to partner with other people to expand the kingdom. Like it's, it's an honor that, that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for our lives and for me to give back and to be a part of somebody else being able to experience that in their own lives, that, that that's an honor, it's a privilege, not something that, that we feel obligated to do. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Like, think about your own journey. Like, think about what it's like when you give. 
Is it something that you're like, man, I'm excited. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done in my life. And, and, and here it is. I'm, I'm giving cheerfully, joyfully, excited to see the impact of what my faithfulness will mean in other people's lives. In Proverbs 21, verse 26, it says, Some people, <laughs> love this, some people are always greedy for more. But what does the godly do? They love to give. The godly love to give. You see, greedy, greedy people live life with, with a closed fist. They, they hold on tight to everything that they have. And so those, those feelings that we feel, and I'm going to use the word we because I feel them too, the feelings that we feel when 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 we feel like the Lord is laying something on our heart to give, the feelings that we feel to, to be intentional about our giving, and we're like, okay, well, I, I'll, give, I'll give a little bit so that everybody sees me drop something in, but, 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 but I got to hold on to this for, for you know, the vacation that I'm wanting to do and all that stuff, and I'm not, hear my heart, I'm not, I'm not disregarding those things, but what I'm trying to help you see is that when we hold on to that stuff, it's a greedy personality. It's a greedy characteristic trait in our life because we're now looking at this as ours. And now we're beginning to make the declaration that, God, I don't trust you to, to work things out in my life, that I got to kind of figure it out on my own and I've got to plan it on my own. And so our whole life is this journey of this and this and this and this. And at least it is for me. Like, like I go through seasons when I'm like this. And I go through seasons like this, and I go through seasons when God's like, like peeling my fingers off, and, and he's convicting my heart of where my heart has gotten. And then, and then I began to, to, to give, to get myself out of that. And, and it's just a cycle that, that we go through. But the Bible says that the godly, that when, when we're living our lives in such a way that's characteristic of who God is and how he's hardwired us, that that we'd love to give, like, like it's not just a part of the service that we dodge out the door so we don't, we, you know, kind of slip out of it. That that should be, like, there should be an element of I love the end of the service. Like, I love it when, when, when the offering goes by or I get to go by the box on the wall and put something in there because I, every time I drop that in, every time I hit okay on the, on the, on the app and, and I give my giving, my, my tithe or whatever it is, every time I do that, it's not just something that I'm doing because I feel like I have to. I'm, I'm partnering. Like, this is a drop partnering in the kingdom. Like, this is a button because I push this button. Somebody's life is going to be transformed because of my faithfulness. That, that it's something that the godly love to give. The second characteristic, kind of the mirror for us to look at in our own lives, is that generous people, that they give selflessly. They give selflessly. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse five, it said that they even did more than we had hoped. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. When you think about that, this is exactly what, what God did for you and for me. That God gave the best 
of what He had to offer His one and His only Son so that you and I could have a choice for a better life. And if you take, if you take a moment in life and, and, and to slow down a little bit and to hit the pause button and to, to think about how your life has been impacted by somebody else's selfless generosity. You think about this morning and you think about how your life just even this morning has been impacted by other people's selfless generosity. That this morning when, when you showed up to church and your eyelids were like halfway closed because you lost an hour of sleep and then you're yelling at the kids to hurry up and get dressed, we're going to miss church, and, and, and you show up and there's coffee. Right? There is coffee made and warm, and some of you are walking over there, and you're just like, you don't know which one you're getting, but you're just, you know, and, and you're a beneficiary of somebody this morning that they lost an hour of sleep, but yet they still got up early this morning because they were generous with their time. And they came in this morning, and they stood down there in that kitchen, and they were exhausted, and they were tired, and there was, I mean, they could have hit snooze, and they could have came in late, they could have come strolling in at 1035, and not many people would have thought anything of it, but no, they got up early, and they went down to the kitchen, and they brewed that coffee, and they brought it up, and they made that coffee stand look all nice and, and presentable, so that when you came on the campus today, you would have a nice warm cup of coffee, and I, as I speak, you wouldn't be asleep. I mean, it... It was a huge win. When you got here today, you had the opportunity to come in and, and to be able to sit in a padded seat and to be able to sit in an air-conditioned auditorium and, and to be able to receive from the service because other people years and years before us have sacrificially and selflessly given financially to be able to provide a place for us to be able to come and worship. And you and I are, are beneficiaries of that. But this morning when you dropped off your kids at nursery or, or kid venture so that you could come in here and, and, and be in the service and not have the kiddos just yanking at you, asking questions, and you could just kind of be, be disconnected and just have one of those parent moments, right, where it's just quiet. You could receive that happened because there were volunteers that selflessly got up this morning even though they were missing an hour of sleep, and they came, and instead of them being in the service, they had a heart to be able to provide a place for you to be able to worship and to provide an experience for the kids to be able to encounter God, and, and we're beneficiaries of their willingness to be able to do that. You got to sit and be a part of a worship experience today because there were 15 plus individuals that are a part of the worship team and a part of the production team that were here Wednesday night and they were rehearsing for this service, trying to do the best that they could to, to create uh, an excellent worship experience that's anointed. And then they got here this morning and, and they worked on things and they practiced and they rehearsed and they prepared their hearts and, and they did all of that selflessly 
They could have gotten more sleep. They could have been a lot of other places, but they did it selflessly because they wanted to be a blessing to all of us. And friend, we are beneficiaries of other people's selfless giving that has really dramatically impacted our lives. But here's the reality of that, is that that kind of selfless characteristic within them should never be a gift that you and I only receive and we never give. It shouldn't be something that we ever get to a place where we become all consumers of other people's selflessness and we never have moments in our own life when we live life this way and we lose an hour of sleep so that we can get the church and to help out, that, that we miss a, a fun weekend because we want to be a part of an outreach or something where we can reach more people and give them the, the love of Christ, that there should never be, a, 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 we should never be void of us not being intentional and faithful in our giving so that that other people can experience the very thing that you and I have experienced through the love of Jesus. The third characteristic, and I'm going to invite the worship team up as I begin to close. The third one is generous people. They give willingly. In 2 Corinthians 8.12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. All right, everybody ready? I'm getting ready to step into something here. All right, get ready. Seatbelts. Seatbelts. I get this question all the time. And the question is this. Is it the tithe an Old Testament principle that was under the law? Isn't the tithe an Old Testament principle that was under the law? And I want to be really clear with you this morning, that the answer is yes. It is. It's an Old Testament law, an Old Testament principle, and here's what this means. Hang with me. Here's what this means for you and me. And some of you are like really hanging with me right now. It means you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You think, man, I didn't know I was going to hear that. Man, this is the best service I've been to in a long time. No, you don't, you don't have to do it. You see, we aren't under law anymore. We're under grace. And, and here's what that means. Listen, here's what this means. That we're not obligated. We're not obligated to tithe whatsoever. But before you get too excited, there's a caveat. Matthew 5, 17. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come. This is Jesus speaking. That I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets speaking of the Old Testament. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. In other words, that when Jesus came, when Jesus died, he didn't do away with the tithe. He changed the motivation of it. He didn't do away with it. He changed the motivation of it. 
when Jesus laid down his life and he rose again, that tithing went from a command of the Old Testament, get this, to a desire of our heart. From something we were commanded to do to something that becomes a desire of our heart. That we tithe now not because we have to in order to get approval or favor from God. No, we tithe because it's the least we can do for all that God has done for us. See, Andrea and I, when we tithe, we do that not because we feel God requires us to do it in order for us to be in good standing with him. We tithe because God has changed our lives. And it's the least thing that we can do. That we got the greatest gift of all, the gift of spending eternity in heaven, the greatest gift of all of being forgiven of all of our sins. And, and so when we look at the privilege of being able to tithe and to give back, that we look at it from the context that God has given us everything. That God lived this way, Jesus lived this way, and because I'm a receiver of all of that, I'm gonna choose to live this way. And that leads us to the fourth characteristic that generous people that they give thankfully and I think David captured this the best when he said in Psalm 116 12 that he said what what can I offer the Lord for all that he has done for me I mean it was a speechless moment for David a moment that he was blown away at all that God has done for him. And I think sometimes in our life we lose this sense of awe, of magnificence, of what we have been saved from, of how significant the sin was in our life and what the punishment was if it wasn't for Jesus laying down his life on the cross. Church, every time we display generosity, every time we, we give to the kingdom our time, our talents, or our treasure, not out of guilt, not because we have to, but out of a heart of thankfulness for all that God has done for us. The church, it's not... 15 minutes of praise and worship in the middle of a service that's truly worshiping God. It's when we live our lives like this instead of this that it becomes truly an act of worship. And I love how it's kind of summarized as we end in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14. And I think that this should be the prayer of all of our lives and for this church, that everything that we have has come from you, oh God. And because of that, 
We give you only what you gave us first. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.